What up, Cavs Nation? I'm your host, Ethan Sands, and I'm back with another episode of the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. I'm joined by your favorite beat reporter, Chris Fedor. First and foremost, Chris, did you have a chance to stop by any spots today in D.C.? I did, yeah. I had a great lunch. I actually went to lunch with Joe Varden from The Athletic, my buddy. I can't remember the name of the place. Jeez, oh man. There's just way too much happening in my life right now. What is it called? Founding Farmers. Okay, that's a good one. Yeah, it was terrific. Like a farm to table spot. It was really, really good. And they had this fancy sparkling water. And you know me, Ethan. I am a fan of all sparkling water. It was specific to them. They had a daily special of the uh, sparkling water. And I think it was like citrus mint. Oh, no sugar, deliciousness. I can't go into the <laughs> sparkling water with you because <laughs> we have varying opinions on that. But I am glad you got to go to a spot. A little disappointed you didn't go to Chaplin's, but it's okay. Yeah. Save it for next time. But I'm glad you had a good time and they had your special fancy water. <laughs> <laughs> But Chris, let's get into Wednesday's game between the Cavs and the Wizards, which is why you were in D.C. And it was more interesting than I was expecting. Okay. The Cavs end up pulling out the win in the district, but the Wizards definitely put up a fight. It came down to a fourth quarter surge that separated the two teams. And it was surprising that it was such a close game of a majority of the contest because of how effortlessly... Donovan Mitchell and Evan Mobley seemed to be scoring, but the Wizards had a more spread out offensive attack with Kyle Kuzma leading the charge. What were your takeaways from tonight's matchup, Chris? I'm actually going to turn this around on you. To me, there were two critical things that happened in tonight's game. It's February 7th. It's against the Wizards. You try not to make too big of a deal about these kinds of games. At this point, Ethan, teams are exhausted. They're just trying to get to the all-star break. Performances are going to fluctuate. But two key things happened related to the Cavs. And I'm curious if you picked up on them as well. Well, one of them is my next question, and that is being that Karis LeVert didn't play in the second half. But I don't know if I know the second one off the top of my head. So the Karis LeVert one is important because it ties into tomorrow's trade deadline to me. The other one is Darius Garland finishing the game, playing meaningful minutes in the fourth quarter and playing well at the end of the game. He was frustrated throughout the game. He wasn't making shots. He wasn't in the flow offensively. It seemed like he was a half step behind again. And I talked to Darius in the locker room about just how difficult it has been to reintegrate into this team that was in a great rhythm, in a wonderful flow. And like, he's so important to their success. He's such a big part of this core. And now you've got a core guy who's trying to find his fit. Like, it's been difficult on Darius. And his play has reflected that. But in the fourth quarter, he played eight minutes. He scored eight points. He was a plus six in those eight minutes. And he just looked more like himself. He was more aggressive. He was more sure of himself. And I think it was important for JB and Darius's teammates to see Darius come through in that fourth quarter situation. And there was a moment throughout the course of the game where Donovan Mitchell kind of grabbed Darius by the shoulders and encouraged him. And he was trying to tell him, hey, just be you. Don't try to be anybody else. 
Don't overthink it. Just be you. And I think the way that Darius played in the fourth quarter is really important for him moving forward. And I think it's going to do, this remains to be seen, but everything that he said to me after the game, he feels like that could be like a springboard moment for him going forward. Yeah, and it's not like we haven't seen Darius perform. Like in his first game back, I believe he had 19 points in the win. And he was trying to make the most of every single minute he was on the court. I don't think before the season started, I had seen him guard somebody full court when it wasn't in a press situation. And he was doing that. And he was trying to get active and trying to throw everything at the defense and the offense van that he could to make the minutes worth it. And I feel like a lot of the fans that have been complaining about his production don't really understand how different it is to play in an NBA game one rather than just practicing and two to go from not being able to do anything activity wise when you are playing at the highest level of any sport and then have to come right back and not only be in the starting rotation, but for your teammates, your coaches, the fan base to look immediately and be like, all right, you better do something or we're going to say we got to trade you. And that's more so the fans rather than the coaching staff and those kinds of things. But yeah, Darius tonight to me, I saw Donovan give him some encouragement. And then I also saw him afterwards after he went and got himself a bucket on a not fade away, but fade to the side three pointer. It was like, okay, uh, you remember how to do this, right? You're back now. <laughs> You're back on the horse. And it, it's really eye opening to see how much Donovan has kind of reached into the players that he's been playing with this year. And obviously we saw it a little bit last year, but the leadership role that he's taken. And I think you also have to give credit to Max Struess because like like we've said on multiple podcasts, his mental fortitude kind of brings everything to a different level. And I think Donovan's fed off that as well this year when it comes to being a leader. When it comes to Darius, it, it hasn't been about him having the wrong intentions or anything along those lines. He has the right intentions, but he's trying to learn how to play this different style. He's trying to learn where he can best fit within this group that started going on a roll when he was sidelined and Evan Mobley was sidelined. So it's not about like Darius wants to do his own thing. Darius doesn't want to be a part of a team. Yeah. He wants to be a part of the team. He wants to close games. He wants to perform when he's out there. He's just trying to learn how to do that with this iteration of the team. And it's not easy because he's being asked at times to do different things than what he has grown accustomed to throughout his entire career. It's one thing to sit there and say, hey, get off the ball. Hey, run around screens. Hey, move without the basketball. Hey, work your way into the flow of the offense without dominating possessions. It's another thing for him to be able to have enough experience with that, enough reps with that, so he can grow comfortable in that particular role. And Donovan Mitchell said it, J.B. Bickerstaff said it, Darius Garland said it, everybody said it as soon as Darius and Evan Mobley came back. Yo, guys, this is not going to be seamless. This is going to take time. Just like at the beginning of the season, Ethan, when it was going to take time for Max Struess, George Niang, some of the new guys, and some of the old guys to try and get accustomed to a new system, to a new defensive principle setup, to new teammates. Like that was always going to take time. Here, middle of the season, when the Cavs are in a flow and they're winning games, they've only lost two since it became the new year. Think about that. Two games that they've lost 
since it became the new year. Trying to reintegrate guys in the middle of that was never just going to be seamless. It was going to take time. There were going to be growing pains. There are going to continue to be growing pains throughout the course of games in stretches. But if you can learn on the fly like that and you can find your way while at the same time winning games and banking those W's that keep you second in the Eastern Conference, that's a really, really good place for this organization to be. When we talked to Darius after his first game back, he said it himself talking about, I don't want to mess up what the Cavs got going. Like, I don't want to step on toes. I just want to fit in and just kind of mesh with everything. I don't want to stand out. I don't need to stand out. I just want to be able to help and play my part along the way. And I think that's what we've been talking about when we mentioned the trade deadline. Like, Evan Mobley and Darius Garland coming back and being acclimated. And you mentioned it, like the new guys at the earlier parts of the season having to figure out a scheme, figure out a mindset, figure out what the Cavs had going and make an identity for themselves. That was their acclimation period. Now you've got Evan and Darius coming back and it's like, oh, wow, you got two big players coming back and you need to reacclimate them to a brand new scheme that they had not been playing, not early in the season, not last year, not the past couple of years that Darius has been on the squad. Like, this is completely new, and it's been working. And also, it's a confidence thing, like, to know that what you were doing before you got injured could have been enhanced, and now you're coming back to a better team overall. It's like, okay, let me not step on toes. Let me not hurt anything. Let me just help. And I think that's what Darius has been doing. To me, Ethan, the what has always been easily identifiable. It's the how that is complicated. And it's going to continue to take time. The Cavs are not a finished product. It's February 7th. The goal is to be at their best in April, May, and if they're lucky enough, June. So it's just about how these guys can navigate this. It's about how J.B. Bickerstaff can figure out his lineups and his rotations. And he's still working through all of that. And it's been a challenge for him because he's got 10 or 11 guys that have earned minutes that deserve minutes on this team. And he's having a hard time finding the right balance of that and finding enough run for all of these guys to keep them happy, keep them in the flow, keep them in rhythm, keep them engaged, and it's probably just going to vary on a night-to-night basis. I mean, look at tonight, Ethan. Karis LeVert, he played three minutes in the second half of a game after he was pretty productive in the first half. That's what I was about to get into. Like, you mentioned wanting guys to be happy and being okay with their minutes, and I don't know if anybody saw this, but when Karis LeVert hit one of his quarter-ending buzzer beaters, and he went to the stands and was looking at what who he told me was his brother and screamed out, put me in the effing game. I was like, hmm, okay. And I talked to him afterwards. I was like, go back and watch the tape, dog, because I don't know if you know what you said, because some players just black out in the moment. But make sure you go see that. Remember, like, this is how you was acting. But, I mean, Karis is a guy who wants to just be a part of this team. And we talked about him being a sixth man of the year candidate earlier this year. And then, well, Donovan Mitchell actually pulled up and said that Isaac Okoro should also be in that conversation. I asked Karis how he felt about it. And Karis said, Ice can have it. And I was like, well, 
it's not about accolades, is it? He said, no, <laughs> it's bigger than that. Well, breaking news, neither one of them is going to get it this year. So we can move past <laughs> that. There is no 100%, chance. 100%. No chance. And that doesn't mean that Isaac hasn't been impactful coming off the bench for the Cavs. And it doesn't mean that Karis LeVert hasn't been very good in a bounce back season for the Cavs. But it's just not happening. There are other guys that are six men that are having better, more productive, more impactful seasons. So we can drop the whole six man of the year thing, I think. <laughs> Earlier in the season, it was more viable. But now that we've seen it, it's, uh, it's changed a little bit. But we mentioned Karis not playing. And I feel like you might have some insight on why that might be. Yeah, so source tells me that it had nothing to do with an injury concern for Karis. It had nothing to do with him being pulled out because he's going to be in a trade tomorrow. Who knows? He could be in a trade tomorrow. Anything could happen. Things change quickly in the NBA. But that wasn't the reason for tonight. There wasn't some kind of decree from the Cavs front office, pull Karis LeVert because he may be involved in a trade tomorrow. It's just a situation, Ethan, where J.B. Bickerstaff is trying to figure it all out. He has a lot of like-sized guys. He's got a lot of guys that play the same kind of position. And if ever there was a reason for this front office to do nothing at the trade deadline, it was made clear by Karis LeVert getting three minutes in the second half. This is a guy who is integral to the Cavs' success. This is a guy who has been in the every night rotation since the beginning of the year. He is the stabilizing force of the Cavs' retooled second unit. And he can only get three minutes in the second half of a game because you're trying to find minutes for Sam Merrill, because you need the defense of Isaac Okoro, and because you have the full intact starting five. Like, if Karis LeVert can't get consistent minutes, and Dean Wade, who started in place of Evan Mobley for about six weeks, can't get consistent minutes in the second half of a game against the Washington Wizards on February 7th, like, how is Royce O'Neal or Dorian Finney-Smith or any of these other guys that have been linked to the Cavs throughout this entire trade deadline process, how are those guys going to get consistent playing time? The answer is they're not. There's not enough room for all these guys right now as it is. And J.B. Bickerstaff, according to my source, is still just trying to figure it all out. Karras didn't do anything wrong. It was a situation where Sam Merrill played five minutes in the first half, and they wanted to go to him to kind of loosen up the defense, to create some more ball movement, maybe get some more three-point shooting out there. And Sam Merrill got the minutes that Karras Levert typically gets. That's all it was. I mean, we've been talking about it and giving different scenarios and options and have taken listens from our subtexters, but me and Chris have been saying it, man. Like, we would be okay if the Cavs didn't make any moves. I think the Cavs would be okay if the Cavs didn't make any moves because you look at how deep the roster is now. You look at the confidence that they have in every single player on their bench. And that includes Damian Jones because of what he's been able to contribute with Tristan Thompson being out and sometimes Jared Allen or Evan Mobley being in foul trouble or whatever it may be. Sort of-ish. Yes, yes. It's lesser for Damian Jones than anybody else. But everybody else, including Damian Jones, has some level of confidence in their play. And I think that has been shown over the last couple of games. And it proves that the Cavs don't really need to make moves and it could disrupt the chemistry that they have in the locker room if they make a wrong move. But we're going to take a quick break, but I got to put our subscribers on to something new. 
for our listeners. If you like food and drinks, and who doesn't, Cleveland.com is breaking new ground with our lively new podcast about dining and drinking in the greater Cleveland area. The hosts talk about the latest foodie happenings, joined by the most in-the-know experts in town. It's called Dine, Drink, C-L-E, and you can find it anywhere you download podcasts. Give it a listen, quench your thirst, and feed that appetite. When we come back to the Wine and Gold Talk podcast, we're going to discuss the trade deadline and the Cavs' current success and how they can maintain it. But before then, become a Cavs insider and interact with me and Chris by subscribing to Subtext. Sign up for a 14-day free trial or visit cleveland.com backslash Cavs and click on the blue bar at the top of the page. If you don't like it, that's fine. All you have to do is text the word STOP. It's easy, but we can tell you that the people who sign up stick around because this is the best way to get insider coverage on the Cavs from Chris and me. We'll be right back. All right, we're back. It feels like this Cavs team has simply found a way after winning 15 of their last 16 games and going on a seven-game winning streak. Whether it's been a three-point masterclass, playing off the bigs on the interior, or using multiple shooters to take eyes from the natural scores, the Cavs haven't been bogged down to a sole scheme, and I think that's my favorite part of this stretch that they're on. They've been able to adjust and adapt in almost every game, depending on what the opposing team throws at them. What do you think about how this team has operated as of late, Chris? I mean, it's been really, really good. It's been team basketball. It's been selfless. It's been a democratic approach. Obviously, every team in the NBA that has big-time ambitions, including the Cavs, there's going to be an offensive hierarchy. This is Donovan Mitchell's team. This is Donovan Mitchell's offense. He's going to be the highest usage player. He's going to be the highest touch player. He's their leading scorer. He's their all-star. He's their MVP candidate. But like there are different guys stepping up and delivering. Jared Allen wasn't great tonight. He was kind of pushed around a little bit. He was fumbling some passes. He wasn't the same offensive force that he has been for the last six weeks or so. But Evan Mobley stepped up and he had a great performance. A lot of his production came when he was playing center, surrounded by four shooters, and Jarrett was on the bench. But he stepped up. He delivered the kind of offensive game that the Cavs continue to believe can get better and better and better as this season goes on and as Evan's career progresses. So I like the fact that they're sharing the basketball. I like the fact that they're playing to the strength of their personnel in terms of how many three-pointers they're taking. I like the fact that Donovan Mitchell seems to be making, for the most part, really good decisions as the primary ball handler, although he kicked himself tonight and he was very hard on himself for the five turnovers that he had, and he called it a sloppy performance by his own standards. But there are just so many different things to like about this team. And to me, the aspect that matters the most for the Cavs moving forward is that they can now diversify their offensive attack in a way that they haven't been able to in the past and in a way that they didn't show at the beginning of the season. And I think one of the most important traits for any team that has playoff aspirations is to be able to play a bunch of different styles because you just don't know what that matchup is going to be in the playoffs and you don't know what that matchup is going to call for. 
So the Cavs have shown that they can be successful with the two big lineup. The Cavs have shown that they can be successful at times if they have to downsize and put Dean Wade or George Niang at the five. The Cavs have shown that they can be a pick and roll heavy team with their personnel of Donovan Mitchell, Darius Garland, Evan Mobley, and Jared Allen, and they can thrive that way and create secondary actions off of that. They have shown that they can be a team that can play through Jared Allen or Evan Mobley at the elbow, make them an offensive hub, and run actions off of them, use them to trigger some things. So to me, while they're doing that, they're staying the same consistent defense that they want to be, That's their identity, defense first, and their offense has gotten to a more dynamic level where it's getting closer to what their defense is. It's not as drastic of a difference between the two ends of the floor. And you talk about being able to add to an offensive game. Chris, Evan Mobley had two threes again tonight. (laughs) Two for two. Oh, my God. Goodness, man, and those shots look pure. Yes. It always scares me a little bit because he, like, thinks about it while he's going into his form, and I'm like, dog, just shoot it. Please, just shoot it. Just shoot it. <laughs> so funny story today, Ethan, from shoot-around. We're on the court, and we're waiting for the guys to get done taking all of their shots so that we can talk to whoever it is we want to talk about before they get on the team bus. And as you know, covering shoot-around, Evan is usually one of the last guys on the floor. He's taking as many shots as he can up until it's time to get on the team bus and go back to the hotel. So I'm walking from one baseline to the other baseline because I want to sit down with Jared Allen and he's completely on the other side of the court. So as I'm walking down the sidelines, Evan dapped me up and the ball that was passed to him from one of the coaches went to me because... You know, they didn't realize that Evan was having a brief conversation with me. They thought he was still taking his shots. So the ball went to me. I flipped it behind my back like a saucy point guard would. And I said, get me that assist, Evan. And he was at the three-point line. So I said, get me that assist, Evan. And from the corner, he splashed it. And as it was going through the hoop, he was like, I got you. That was my first NBA assist. It counts. Oh, this man, Chris. (laughs) It counts. It counts, even though it was that shoot around against air, shooting workout for Evan Mobley. I'm counting it. That's my assist. I passed it to him and he made the corner three pointer. He did it just for me or something like that. Bottoms, <laughs> bottoms, need it. I mean, hey, Chris, Evan is a soft spoken but very polite person and like so fun to be around. And even if he's not saying much, he got his facial expressions that'll let you know what he's thinking. So I really like, I can picture that in my head going through it. And I was hoping he was going to do something silly just because it was like nobody else on the court, like a little Steph turnaround while the shot's going in. But he's saying, I got you is definitely more Evan. That's what I'm saying too. Like again, small moment at shoot around. It was a fun moment at shoot around, but it speaks to the confidence that he has in that three point shot. Right. He feels good. That he's worked for. He's worked hard at it and he feels good with it. And if you saw after one of the threes that he made, I think it was the first three that he made. He splashed it. It was in rhythm. It was with confidence. And he did his own little three point celebration because he was so proud of himself. Like he's feeling himself as a shooter right now. And that is dangerous for opponents. And that, as we've talked about, can potentially take this offense to a completely different level. 
And hey, Jared Allen got a three up too. We're not gonna talk about that one. Yeah, that one. Was- but <laughs> he had mentioned in the post game against the Kings, talking about, well, maybe it's my turn. Jared, Jared, my dude, my dude. We love you on this podcast. Stick in the paint. Stick in the free throw line. Do your little midi jump shots. Those surprise defenses. You don't need to be on the three-point line. It's okay. <laughs> I mean, just like everybody else on this team, Ethan, you know this. He works on that three-point shot. He finishes basically every shooting workout that he has with a series of three-pointers from the corner mostly because obviously if he's going to be at the three-point line, which is rare to begin with, it would probably be in the corner in a spaced-out role. Yeah, agreed. All right, Chris. The trade deadline is inching ever closer, and we talked about it briefly, but there's been already some moves being made around the league for the Cavs. Have you got any sense or any insight about moves that could be made by 3 p.m. tomorrow, or is it more so that Karis LeVert not getting minutes in the second half is almost proof that the Cavs are not going to do anything. Because we all know the NBA is a crazy space. Things can happen. Things change overnight. Things change in an hour. We saw Darius Garland get added to an injury report three hours before a game right after he was at shoot-around. Who knows? What do you have for us and the fans, Chris, on anything that you might be hearing or nothing that you might be hearing? Yeah, I mean, I just get the sense that the players in that locker room, the coaches, and members of the front office believe that they already have enough, that they recognize the weaknesses that this roster had coming into this season, all of those that that were exposed by the New York Knicks in the first round of the playoffs, and they did their best to go out and address those. They added shooting. They added floor spacing. They added depth to this roster so that it wouldn't be one of the least productive benches in the entire NBA. And I just think, like, the lingering questions about this team To me, they don't get answered with a trade. So if you think about some of the things that you're wondering about this team and what those are, they're not like roster construction related. They're not, do they have enough off the bench? Is their starting five good enough? Is the top eight in their rotation reliable enough? Do they have enough shooting? You know what I mean? Like, it's not that. It's, is Darius Garland and Evan Mobley, are they both ready for what the playoffs demand? Is Isaac Okoro ready for a team completely ignoring him, leaving him wide open from three-point range to crowd the paint on Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell just like the Knicks did last year in the playoffs? Like, is Isaac ready for that level of disrespect? And can he make teams pay for that in a way that he hasn't been able to in the past in playoff-like environments? If you think about the play-in tournament a couple of years ago against Brooklyn and Atlanta, Isaac got an opportunity Brooklyn completely left him open, ignored him, and he got pulled from the game. And then he didn't start the next game against the Atlanta Hawks. So, like, those questions can't be answered until we get into April. How much did J.B. Bickerstaff learn from the playoff series against the New York Knicks? You don't trade for that. You don't get that if you trade for Royce O'Neal. You don't get that if you trade for Dorian Finney-Smith. You don't get that if you trade for Lonnie Walker the fourth. You know what I mean? So, like, I, I just think that members of this front office are looking at what they have to offer, what's available on the open market, and 
whether any of those guys that they could add to this roster would be upgrades. And I think at the end of the day, they're going to look at all of those different options as lateral moves. And I just don't think the Cavs want to use some of their assets. And they don't have too many assets to begin with, both this trade deadline and moving forward. So I just don't think they want to use some of those assets to simply make what would be viewed as a lateral move for a guy who probably isn't going to get consistent playing time. And he's probably not going to crack the 9-10 man rotation anyway, because there's built-in trust that Sam Merrill has earned and Dean Wade has earned and Karis LeVert has earned that a new guy coming in in the middle of February when there are 30 games left in the regular season, I don't know that there's enough time for that guy to step into this rotation and make a tangible difference for this team. Like They're not the Bucks here, right? They're not floundering the way that Milwaukee is where you're saying, okay, something is off. They need a better defensive player if they're going to improve on the defensive end. They're not the Los Angeles Lakers where LeBron James looks like he's aged four years just in this season because he's playing with a bunch of schmoes. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is a really good basketball team. This is a deep basketball team. It doesn't mean it's a flawless roster, but I just don't think the things that they need most are sitting out there in this year's trade deadline. I honestly don't think there is a trade that the Cavs could make that would elevate them. I think any trade that they would make, barring something huge, which I don't see happening, it would be a step backwards for this team in this moment. Or a lateral move. Maybe. Like I've said a couple of times on this podcast, like if they bring somebody else in and it's not the right chemistry, I think that's moving backwards. And that's my thing. Like there have been so many moments where you see the joy, the camaraderie and everything that they got going on that just a wrong energy could shift backwards. I'm not even talking about the play on the court. I'm talking about what the potential trade player could do to their team morale. But I also wanted to point out that Isaac Okoro, man, he's been in every interview that I've had with him or everything that he's been around. He has been confident, happy, selfless, but also very much making it aware to everyone he's talked to that he has the utmost confidence in himself. And I think you've seen it more lately because of his readiness to shoot the ball. Earlier in the season, we saw him catch the ball and immediately go into his jab step triple threat and try and get to the rim. Well, a couple of games ago, more like 10 games ago, it was like he would catch it and then think about shooting and then go into his little triple threat jab move. Now he's like, well, man, if I'm open, I'm putting this up. And I was like, okay. And I'm not going to lie, Chris. I thought he was going to come back to Cleveland after that little road trip that they had and get his braids redone, but he didn't. Nope. And he's been playing with the hair out for a little bit, much longer than Karis LeVert did. I think it might be the hair. He <laughs> might have to keep it out. <laughs> hey, man, with somebody that has twists and braids and all those nice things for his black hairstyles, like, I know how much power derives from hair. Like, and that's how I live my life. Like, there you go. when I had to cut my hair short, man, oh my goodness. I was like, I look like a meatball. Like, I got to get my hair back. And him having his hair out, maybe, especially during Black History Month, it might be giving some, him some extra power. I don't know. Might just be me. Hey, Isaac deserves a lot of credit for the steps that he's made as an outside shooter. He's shooting a career best from three-point range, he's shooting around 40% on catching three shot opportunities. 
So that's really, really good. It's still on low volume, though. And when it comes to the NBA, to me, volume not shooting percentage creates gravity and changes how a defense is going to approach that assignment. And I think there are still legitimate questions, like I said, about we all understand the playoffs are completely different than the regular season. Even the players in the NBA understand the differences between the regular season and the playoffs. So like he still has a lot to prove in terms of how he can impact this team once it comes to a playoff series. We know on the defensive end what he's capable of. He's their best point of attack defender. He's the guy who's going to get the toughest assignment for the opposing team, and he relishes that opportunity. But like, if he doesn't make those outside shots, if he doesn't take those outside shots, that is going to diminish how much JB feels like he can go to him in a seven-game series when rotations get tighter and tighter as you get into the postseason. So I just think there are still legitimate questions about how Isaac's game from the regular season, which has been good, and he deserves a lot of credit, and he's been really important over the last six weeks, how that translates to a seven-game series. And with all of that being said, that'll wrap up today's episode of the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. But remember to become a Cavs insider and interact with Chris and me by subscribing to Subtext. Sign up for a 14-day free trial or visit cleveland.com backslash Cavs and click on the blue bar at the top of the page. If you don't like it, that's fine. All you have to do is text the word STOP. It's easy, but we can tell you that the people who sign up stick around because this is the best way to get insider coverage on the Cavs from me and Chris. This isn't just our podcast. It's your podcast. And the only way to have your voice heard is through subtext. Y'all be safe. We out.